Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Today, we're continuing with part two of our series with Dr. Joe Parks on innovations in the delivery of care. Joe is a distinguished research professor of science at Missouri Institute of Mental Health with the University of Missouri, St. Louis campus. As a practicing psychiatrist and state policymaker, Joe has a track record of translating clinical experience in mental and substance use disorders into patient-centered policy recommendations, and state-of-the-science primary and behavioral health treatment programs. In today's podcast, we're going to be discussing Joe's work with the National Council for Mental Well-Being, where he serves as their medical director. Joe, welcome back to our show. Hey, it's a pleasure to be back, Graham. Nice to have you here. I know that the National Council was founded in 1969, and you are its first medical director. What have you enjoyed from this position? And congratulations on that. Well, thank you. What I enjoy most is a chance to make a difference. There's so much work to be done across this nation to improve people's mental well-being, both in terms of mental illness, recovery from substance use disorder, and just that broad wellness that we all seek. And the National Council, that's their mission. Their mission is to ensure that all Americans have access to comprehensive, high-quality behavioral health care that affords everyone an opportunity for recovery. Really good. So this, uh, in terms of the vision and their purpose, this is a uh, 501c3 association, and you guys do a lot of advocacy for policies that ensure, like you're saying, the mental health and substance use challenges get to be assessed and also their needs met through a comprehensive, high-quality services. You guys serve a lot of people. We do. We we serve uh, really nationwide millions of people. We have 3,500 member organizations out there providing treatment for mental illness and substance use disorder and doing substance use prevention. I know that the National Council comes into contact with about 10 million children, adults, and families. And in addition to the advocacy for policies to ensure equitable access to high-quality services, I also know that one of the functions is to promote greater understanding of mental well-being as a core component of the services you're providing. Say a little bit more about that part of it. Absolutely. You know, it's about more than just treating illness, and we shouldn't wait till somebody gets sick to try and figure out how to keep them well and to help them. So one of our major ways to do that is through a program called Mental Health First Aid. We've trained over two and a half million people. General people like your listeners can take this course. They should do a browser search for Mental Health First Aid, because I'm sure there's a course in their community that will teach them how to identify when someone's in distress from a mental illness or substance use challenge, and then how they can have a conversation and reassure that person and assist them in getting the care they need so they can get in recovery too. That's really good. Tell us about some of the challenges that the National Council has determined in terms of what's going on in our nation and those in need in terms of mental health, substance use, What are you guys seeing as some of the biggest challenges and needs of our national family right now? You know, uh, some of the biggest challenges are are what you see in the paper. We we have an opiate epidemic that we're fighting and people have trouble getting access to care. We have increase in suicide that we're fighting and people have trouble getting access to care. And we have people that are really suffering, stressed out, 
and traumatized by the isolation that came from COVID and we have trouble getting access to care. And the big challenge driving that access to care, you know, the biggest challenge used to be stigma and stigma is still yes. a problem that we need to be more enlightened about. But the biggest problem is getting adequate reimbursement rates to cover the cost of care. Right. We uh, surveyed our members uh, a year or two ago and 75% of them lose money on psychiatric services and have to support that service line out of other lines of business in the traditional fee-for-service system. Yeah, It is underfunded, and we're not going to get people the care they want and deserve to the same degree they get it with primary care until we have better rates that actually cover the cost of care. When you talk about that dimension of it here, and you're talking about your role as a medical director, talk about some of the advocacy that you work towards in terms of policies to ensure people living you know, with mental illness, substance use challenges, get access to the comprehensive care necessary. What kind of advocacy are you guys doing? You know, we have a couple of different strategies. One is that we've been longtime supporters of parity. These are federal laws and regulations that require that mental illness and substance use disorders get the same kind of insurance coverage and the same access. They're not operated in a more restricted way than general medical care. You know, there used to be uh, higher co-pays for behavioral health conditions. There yeah. used to be higher deductibles, and those are gone. But there are still problems with more restrictive prior authorization of some treatments. Yes. And in particular, the rates are relatively lower for behavioral health than they are in primary care. You know, there was a Milliman study. Milliman's a big actuarial firm. And they released a study about three years ago now showing that they, a primary care doctor is actually paid more for treating depression than a behavioral health is that right? therapist or a psychiatrist on average across insurance plates. How does oh that make sense? <laughs> oh my, I didn't know that. That's a, that's a kind of scary, actually. And they just... showed that, and one more thing that people should no. know about is they showed that it's much more common to be forced to go out of network. That means that you can't find anybody that takes your insurance coverage. And of course, when you go out of network, then you have to pay a higher deductible and copay. Why aren't they in network? because they're not offering high enough rates mm -hmm. to get the providers to sign up to take that insurance coverage. So in terms of some of the, the policy work you guys are looking to do and are doing, it also sounds like it addresses not just the, the reimbursement rates, but also I, I've experienced some of the challenges with the pre-authorization and the ongoing authorization for care being necessary. That's a big challenge for providers. Yes, there, there have been practices identified in the past where insurance companies were requiring more stringent levels of evidence. They wouldn't cover a mental health treatment unless it had multiple double-blind evidence studies when they right. don't put that same constraint on a primary care treatment. Yeah. If it's the standard of care and what's usually done, they pay for it. With some coverage with mental illness, they say, oh, no, we need to see a lot of research first. Yeah. I want to cover just a couple of other things for our listeners' understanding of what the National Council does. In addition to the really, really cool program, uh, mental health first aid you were talking about earlier, the advocacy on, on Capitol Hill that you're doing. You guys all also have NATCOM. This is the uh, National Council Conference. What a great place for folks to come together. Talk about this conference and who tends to, uh, to attend these. Oh, yeah. It's coming up in just three weeks, the second the second week of April here in, uh, we're in Washington, D.C. this year over at National Harbor. Nice. We're going to have over 3,500 leaders of behavioral health treatment organizations, organizations that treat mental illness and substance use disorder, convening here nationally. These will be the CEOs, the medical directors, 
the chief clinical officers, the chief financial officers. These are the people that are in your communities running the organizations that's giving you service. And this is where they come to yeah. learn from each other. You know, there's different organizations know how to do different stuff better, and they come to learn the most up-to-date approaches to both treatment technology, but also to financing, to organizing care so that people can get it efficiently in a way that feels right and good to them. I really like that. Joe, what are you doing in those conferences when you come together and how are you kind of rallying the rallying the troops and and getting them kind of on a good page together? What's your role in that? Oh my, there, you know, there's many staff that are working on it. For me, I convene a group of medical directors called the Medical Director Institute that advises the National Council on clinical issues that are related to policy. And we will have our business and annual planning meeting. We're also hosting an all-day series of talks uh, called the Clinical Leader Track in it, where we'll be going over things like, oh, one of the better topics is there's uh, been a marked increase of street drugs being adulterated with fentanyl, which drives overdoses. So we recently put out a policy paper on what should be done to address this more more recent problem. You can find it on our website if you do a browser search. Really good. Uh, we'll be having uh, we'll be having other presentations on uh, diversity and equity in mental illness treatment and how to make sure your individual organization, not what the other guy's doing, but what you're doing, right. is what you can do to increase diversity and assure equity. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Nearly 9 in 10 registered voters believe the nation faces a mental health crisis, according to a new USA Today Suffolk University poll. Americans are more concerned than ever about their mental health. Mental health first aid provides the resources and training to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental health and substance use challenges. It provides the confidence and skills needed to offer life-saving assistance, and it provides peace of mind. Our experts provide mental health first aid training for adults, teens, caregivers, veterans, law enforcement, EMS, and school faculty. Mental health concerns are on the rise, but evidence-based training through mental health first aid can make a difference. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org to find a course near you or email hello at mentalhealthfirstaid.org to schedule a training. Courses are available for individuals, groups, organizations, and companies of all sizes. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org and make a difference in your community. We uh, spoke recently with a gentleman from the National Council, Aaron Williams, had a great show with him. And one of the other services you guys provide in terms of a number of services available for folks, but you guys also do National Council webinars where you bring experts in and keynote mental health folks to talk about mental health, substance use, challenges online, and and just one more more layer of service, isn't it? It is. That was one of the major responses we made to COVID. We had multiple webinars every week for what people needed to do in that rapidly changing early phase of the COVID epidemic. You know, what does this infection mean? How do we test? How do we use masks? How do we have to change our services to do social distancing? We were doing, oh, four or five webinars a week on different really? specific aspects that went on for months. That's really good. I know you guys also have a program that provides kind of national technical assistance on integrating primary care with mental health and substance use treatment, the Center 
of excellence for integrating health solutions. And this is right down your wheelhouse. That's part of the, your research and I think part of your passion. Talk about the Center for, of Excellence. Yeah, we're proud to be a, a partner of the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA, that funds us to provide this center to help healthcare organizations really get primary care and general medical care connected with treatment for mental illness and substance use disorder. You know, if it occurs in separate silos, right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing, errors right. occur, information's not exchanged. You can't get quality care unless all the cooks in the kitchen know what the recipe is and who's doing what. And that's what this center is about, is helping organizations put those pieces together. You know, Graham, we have another center that we just recently got from SAMHSA. It is, is a certified community behavioral health center, technical assistance center. You know, oh. we have our new CCBHC, which is our other major line of policy, because that's another way to get access. CCBHCs increase access by addressing that payment methodology problem, not paying the right amount for services. And we have uh, SAMHSA's awarded us the, uh, the right to help implement that nationwide with the CCBHC Technical Assistance Center. And we, we're doing consulting all over the country with that. How many uh, centers are you working with? Oh, geez. You know, it changes so much daily, but it, it's in the hundreds. It's wow. in the hundreds. There's 430. I don't know if we've gotten to everyone, but we've gotten certainly to the majority of them. You know, it's almost common sense to think about, well, of course we'd want to integrate, you know, behavioral health care with primary care, but we don't always do it. Go one more lap for us. Why is this so essential for there to be a holistic caring for someone and they're maintaining their well-being? Well, as it turns out, each of us individually in our bodies manages to integrate our psychology and our physiology, and that's the way we're built and that's the way we live. Yeah. If a person with diabetes or heart disease has a depression or bipolar, they are more likely to have poor outcomes for their medical disorder. They'll have more hospitalizations, more ER visits, and they'll have an earlier death. If a person has serious mental illness, they are more likely to have diabetes, hypertension, and heart disease. People yeah. with serious mental illness have two to three times the prevalence of these illnesses that the general population does, and they're much more likely to die of a heart attack than they are to die of suicide. Yeah. So you're talking about not only the benefit to the patient themselves, but let's get a little business oriented here. You're talking about in terms of metrics, cost savings being quite a significant benefactor of this. Yes. People with serious mental illness have significant higher healthcare costs. And as much of that increased cost is yeah. due to a higher medical cost as the total cost of their behavioral health care. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to lower the cost of general medical care, you have to take care of the behavioral health care component because it drives more medical illness. What I love that you guys are nudging is that, you know, in our professions, oftentimes we get trained how to use a hammer. So while we see your nails, you know, so the idea of being able to expand and open the aperture of what if we treated the whole person? And what if we created programs that you guys are helping, you know, set up and create the integration for, what if we begin to experience more and more mental well-being also include that coming from the primary care well-being that someone gets to benefit from. So there's some great resources you guys are doing and your uh, online site is phenomenal. In fact, I'd like to shift just a little bit. We're kind of coming into the close of our time today, but to talk about some resources that you'd recommend and allowing us to have our listeners 
go online and see some of the things you guys are offering. It is significant. Give us a way for our listeners to connect with you guys. Absolutely. Put in your browser search, the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, okay. and you will be able to access all our research sources. You'll be able to get to the Center for Excellence in Integrated Health Solutions. You'll be able to get to the National Certified Community Behavioral Health Center, uh, TA Center. You'll be able to get to our Health Equity and Racial Justice Services mm. Center. And importantly, you'll be able to get to mental health first aid. You know, mental health first aid is not one size fits all. There's a program targeted for youth. There's a program for adults. Oh, excellent. Program for first responders. And we're seeing it adopted across industry as a smart way to do business. Walgreens is training their pharmacists, for instance. Is that right? Yeah. Really good. So this kind of, again, gets into the community and um, pretty comprehensive in its reach. Well, Joe, it's been great to have you on the show today. And uh, I so respect and admire your efforts to make mental well-being and, and physical well-being a reality for everyone. This is pretty significant work. Congratulations on your accomplishments. Well, and thank you so much. And I, I want to thank your listeners, too, for uh, all they do to support and help people that are suffering with mental illness and substance use disorders. We're, we're here to help each other. And the National Council appreciates anyone that's got a hand out there to help others. That's great. Well, I'd like to thank our listeners as well for joining uh, Joe and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Again, I'd like to encourage you to listen to the first part of our podcast series where Joe and I discuss his work with a family health center, a part of Compass Health, a large certified community behavioral health center in Missouri, a federally funded center that was established to expand services to the uninsured and underinsured patients in Columbia, Missouri. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show. And we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.